0: Welcome back to episode 79 of Warriors Den with Adrian Vallman, the head of Global Copop, an organization based out of the UK. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. If you like our content, as in this podcast, or our blog at utkmblog.com, or you love what we do in person and are unable to train with us regularly, we would love your support. You can support us by going to utkimblog.com forward slash support us. You can donate a one-time donation or monthly or yearly. That is up to you. If you like to support us, that would be great. It is muchly, mostly superly awesomely appreciated. There's my good English. You can also go to utkmu.com and sign up for our beginner or novice curriculum, which will give you access to the curriculum as we teach it. Uh it took a long time to film all of those and I put it up. So there it is for you to see, and I will update it periodically. And there is free content by the way, though not extensive, such as firearm safety, how to pick up and make safe firearms as per the Canadian firearm safety course, but it's pretty universal um, for general firearm safety. So that is free content. But if you want the paid content, you have to sign up for the novice or beginner curriculum to see what I teach and how I teach it. And you can of course support us just by following us on social media: Urban Tactics Kramaga on Facebook and Instagram, and Urban Tactics Cam on Twitter. Though. I don't really post that much there, so there is that. And of course, I believe at the recording of this podcast, there's still some Amazon affiliate links up on the UTKM blog. Support us, but um, they probably won't be there forever. Now, if you're in person and able to train with us and want to train with us, then you can do so by checking out www.urbantacticskm.com. You can check out uh, my credentials and sort of about our school, as mine is a hybrid system of the various Krav organizations, but it's more about simplicity in teaching methodology and repetition and drills and aggression training and getting a little bit of everything that you need to develop your overall skill set to better defend yourself. I think that's about it. When some of you reaches out and want to sponsor this podcast, then that would be awesome. And then I can add more. But in the meantime, it's just me. Now, back to Adrian Vollman. So you can check out their website at Global Kapop. That's K-A-P-A-P dot com, dot com. They are UK based and have schools in the UK, Ireland, Germany, Austria, Italy, Poland, and Dubai. Now, a little bit about Adrian. This is off of their website. Adrian started his love for martial arts back in the 1970s in the UK. As a late teen, he moved to Israel, where he studied karate, attending competitions and courses led by Max Azuli and Dr. Ronnie Kluger at the famous Wingate Sports Institute. IDF Army Service saw Adrian introduced to military combat Krav Maga, where he became an accomplished practitioner and weapons expert. At 19, he enlisted into the IDF. After serving for some time, he was asked if he wanted to study self-defense. He explained, I knew and practiced karate and jiu-jitsu, that's traditional jiu-jitsu. The sergeant called him out in front of the unit, after which he gave his first lesson in Krav Maga. And when he was in the IDF, he served in the infantry unit, Nachal. During the time he saw his service was during the first intifada and the first Gulf War that was in Israel. During the time there in Israel, he had the opportunity to train at Wingate and up and down the country under many now-famous Kramaga and martial arts instructors. In '92, when he left the army, he returned to the UK and began training under organizations and clubs until 2010, when he decided to form his own organization with a few friends from the Metropolitan Police uh, Armed Response Unit at the ARU. They ran the organization called British Pop for a few years and eventually went their own way. And then Global Kapop came over the years and it has grown into a very large network of instructors, organizations working together for many countries, having all the same goal to further knowledge and gain more experience in Krav Maga, Kapop, and all forms of self-protection. And today they're branching out into the world of professionals, certified education, working with amazing company called ACE PSA. Right, I just paraphrase that, changing some of the language to be a bit more... On point And his qualifications, Master Kapop and Krav Maga Instructor, Head UK National Committee, UISDSA, UPKL World Advisor for Kapop, Krav Maga, Sixth Dan and SKDA Karate Instructor, IKF Senior Instructor, WKMF, Krav Maga Instructor, International Sports Coach Diploma, SLQ Sports Leader Coach, Level 3, Delivery of Physical Education, First Aid, and some other stuff. So... He's been around for a while, Adrian, and what we talked about in this podcast, uh, for those who listen regularly, we did not, I, rather me, I did not go off on political rants today. We didn't talk about the generic stuff, but we kept it mostly on point use of force, our experiences in the military. Both, we both served uh, many decades apart, of course, in the IDF in different units. And we discussed that, we discussed the Kramaga world, we discussed what's going on in England a little bit, uh, uh, violence as a whole, um, Israel of course. We didn't go into too much detail about what's going on in Israel right now, much at all. We kept the politics out of it today. And uh, General, our thoughts, as well as I asked him about uh, his thoughts on American policing and general police, and surprise, surprise, even in the UK, the consensus is police don't get Proper and significant training, usually due to politics and bureaucracies. But we'll, I'll leave it up to the podcast. So this is episode, what did I say it was? Episode 69, I think. Anyways, it's with, no, 68. It's with Adrian Vollman of Global Kapop. And if I screwed up that number, oh well. Krav Maga is not just a self defense system, it is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for cravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucid Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day, Day. brought to you by by
1: Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions.
0: Okay, welcome back. I am here with Adrian Vollman of Global Kapop in the UK. How are you today?
2: Very good, thank you.
0: It's uh, great to have you here. Um, Now, of course, in the UK, uh, you're very well known in the Krav Maga, Kapop, and uh, self-defense industry, but globally, uh, not everyone is as enthusiastic as I am. So uh, let's just start with your, your martial arts background, how you got into Krav Maga and uh, also karate, I believe. Right? Uh,
2: yes, yes. Yeah. OK. Um, well, I started hmm, probably about the age of 10 or 11. Um, it started with bullying at school, and I kind of got invited to a, uh, a local judo club, um, which back then was very quiet. It was very under the table. Um, I'm going back to middle '70s um, in a little town called Woodford. Mm. Um, I joined the club, and it kind of started from there. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you you ended up in Israel at some point, right? Uh, that was a few years later, right?
2: A few years later. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I okay. So let me explain. I studied judo, mm. and then went off to karate um, after watching an exhibition in the '80s, and. Um, in the 90s, I, I volunteered for the British military, but they turned me down because of my height. Yeah, um,
0: I can and, relate the height. <laughs> and,
2: and, and, yeah, I know you can. And my mother, surprisingly, I came home very upset after spending two weeks running around for a um, a course, which they allowed me to do. And at the end of two weeks, even though I passed, 150 people joined. There was about 40 of us left. They said, well done. You've passed the course. You've done the two weeks, blah, blah, blah. But we can't let you in because you're too small. Mm. I said, well, why didn't you tell me before? And they said, those are the rules. (laughs) That was back then. Everything's changed now. But um, my mother said, look, why don't you go and join the Israeli army? And I'm like, okay, um, I could do that. (laughs) I went to Golders green. They put their arms out and they said, come, come, you can join. Six weeks later, I was joining. Um, A few weeks, I was flown out to Israel, taken to a kibbutz um, in the north of the country. And a few weeks after that, I was joined.
0: Uh, what year was that? Just for some context.
2: I joined in '80, end of '86.
0: That yeah, that, they're still in southern Lebanon at the time, yes. right? Yeah, okay. I my history is a little rusty. I haven't yeah, looked into I, it I, in a while, well, right there, yeah. Yeah.
2: Did a couple of tours.
0: Yeah, a little bit more exciting back then. Went then when I when I served. Um, you which unit were you in, Nahal or?
2: I I started off as Nahal, yes. Yeah. was yeah. oh,
0: just uh, yeah. infantry or?
2: Uh, I, I started off as standard infantry, Nachal. Um, and um, after that, um, um, I went into Nachal Sanchanim, um, yeah. paratroopers. Um, back then, it was very different, I'm sure, than it is now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, that that was the opportunity you got given, you know, um, uh, as a, an Olim, as somebody who'd come from Israel from outside. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was uh, interesting. I also got the chance to go off to Wingate when... Um, interesting story. Um, after about a year and a bit in the military, um, um, we were doing a training exercise and one of our sergeants from South America called us out and we're all on the field and he said, does anyone know self-defense? And stupidly, I put my hand up. <laughs> I said, yeah, I do. And he said, okay, can, can, come show me what you've got. And before I know it, I was having my first lesson in Krav Maga. Yeah. Which I absolutely fell in love with, because it didn't matter what I did. This guy just, just hurt me so bad. Um, <laughs> so i requested that i go off and and train and that took quite some time before that came back but it eventually didn't i was very lucky that i got to go off to wingate which again is very different from what people understand wingate has two sides it has the military side and the civilian side um i'm not sure if that's still the same today but from what i understand it's very similar
0: yeah um, i believe like when i was there it's like you you had like say if you wanted to get a sports institute degree from the universities you can go there and then you had the military base there as well yeah. i was there once or twice not for crap my god just for various like there's that infamous sand hill that i hate uh, you know i actually
2: did that last year <laughs> yeah. not last year year before year before COVID. i actually did that with a meet yeah. that was fantastic yeah. which was yeah. we were joking because i said i haven't done this for Twenty-five plus years, you know, actually a lot longer than that. But I said twenty-five plus years, and he said it'll be no problem.
0: (laughs) The same, it's always been.
2: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. It was uh, interesting.
0: So, so you started learning Krav uh, at Wingate. How do you go from that all the way to the head of UK?
2: Okay, well, I kind of I started learning Krav. Krav is very different to what people realize in the military. It's not you don't learn for that long. It's a very short, sharp. Uh, course and then you put back in the real world uh, you either become a Madrid teacher or or, or you just study it um, I wanted to become a teacher um, at that time I was never good enough to become a full time craft mm. teacher um,
0: skill wise or like teaching methodology
2: I think probably both to be quite mm. honest with you I, I, I'd like to say skill wise but I think it was probably both I was still I was good at my job in the military but I, I i wasn't an amazing teacher back then i'd studied martial arts for years but you know just because you study martial arts it doesn't make you a good teacher mm-hmm. um so uh i started to go off and, and and try and do as many courses as i could to to understand what it is to be a teacher uh, that's been a journey but uh, <laughs> i'm still learning um okay. but um yeah, kind of. Uh, again, at that time in the military, I was very, very lucky. You know, um, I met some amazing people. Some, you know, some big famous names. Now, back at the in those days, you know, they 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 were well known, but not like now. Yeah. Know? So I got to study under quite a few people, and uh, yeah, it, it was a good experience. It was a good experience.
0: Yeah, glad you had a good experience. My my experience was not the uh, the best. I don't I'm know if it's because of right, me or because learning. of Israel. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm talking about training and learning. I'm not, not all the experience in the military is good. I don't yeah. think. Anyway. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was in the first, I mean, with everything that's going on at the moment, I was in the first intifada. Oh, yeah. It was not, not so nice.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. So I, I was fortunate, I suppose. I mean, it's not what I, you know, every young guy goes to Israel you're looking for. I want to go actually. I had actually similar sort of, sort of story as I, I wanted to. When I was like 16, I tried to get in the Canadian military. Um, but as usual, bureaucracy and people dicking around and all the recruitment officers didn't really care. And I couldn't get to the right person to, to get me in. And it just left a bad taste in, not not that I got rejected. It's just like a bad taste in my mouth. And then when I, uh, things weren't going well for me here when I was like, I don't know, 21, I was like, Hey, uh, screw this. I want to join the military. It's something I've always wanted to do. I could have tried to do the canadian one again but again there was that i could have actually probably tried to do uk because i do have citizenship but i was like you know what as a jew i'm gonna go to israel and let's see uh you know i learned a lot um from that experience but the military you know for what you think it's going to be it never is and then i happen to be right after right after uh i think operation castlet and right before Or was it before I was there 2009 to 2011? So I was right in between everything. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly I did I honestly did mostly policing work in the West Bank, even though we're not trained for it at all. And uh, lots of rocks, lots of riots, lots of tear gas. And that was most of my experience. (laughs) Sleep deprivation, though, that's standard. So in that sense but uh it's like it just depends when you're if you're there right now obviously it's craziness right it's now
2: craziness i was just speaking to some friends today it's it's craziness i mean i i was there in the gulf war
0: mm-hmm. i was there
2: at the a kind of not the end of the lebanon war but everything that was cleared up afterwards yeah um, you know um i was there in the first intifada, and it was just you went from one place to another i mean i went from things like you know uh, Guarding a border crossing in Jordan to a few days later, you're 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 on the border of Gaza, about to go in. You know, it it was just never knew where you're going from week to week.
1: Yeah, you
2: know, know. so it wasn't all good, Um, but but it was an experience. It was an experience that I still am able to use till today. You know, I mean, I I still I I travel around the world and I I work with. specific um border guards or specific military units um, or police we do a lot of police work and all the training i had back then it is still you know obviously weapon work has changed slightly but the training mm. itself is
1: still the same
0: yeah yeah now uh yeah i think you're actually a little bit shorter than me um and oh, i if i had problems in the military with my height I imagine you had like, for example, when you have to carry the, the Alunka, you know, the military cot, I was so short, I, you know, you can't reach it. And you're like, I'm trying to help you guys. They, us- they usually just put me on it. Do you have yeah. a similar experience? I was either with put
2: on or put in yeah. the middle. Yeah. So if, if you're in the middle between the two guys, you're trying to, you know, m- most of the time you're being carried, you know, <laughs> yeah. your feet are off the ground. Yeah. But uh, God help you if you let go. Um. Yeah I mean there was a lot of things that were hard but you, you got around it you know yeah. I mean, there was always there was always a way to get around it yeah. but, uh, and if you were lucky enough to be put on it <laughs> just hold on tight and enjoy the ride you know
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean I found that like I'm not physically gifted at all and I have to work harder than a lot of people and I was always the guy in the back And I'm always trying to keep up. You put weight on my back and then tell me to do first march. My body is like, I hate you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I was like that at first, Mm. Um, I must admit. And then I I decided to change. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I was probably never the one right at the very, very front.
3: Mm, Um,
2: But I tried to get there. (laughs) I worked hard to get there. You know, Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it depends where you were and what you were doing, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's the, like, the lesson that I learned, even if it wasn't a great experience, is that if you have to, you can, you can go. Even if you're not in the front, you, you just push yourself. And I remember, for me, the one thing that I was told that uh, there's like, listen, we can't believe you didn't quit. Like, we all thought you were going to quit. And it's like, no, why? Because if I quit now in training and we actually go to war, well, what use am I? Yeah. Right? I so, so it's... Uh,
2: exactly. I uh, mean... Uh, It it was actually one of our sergeants who gave us a pet talk um, because there was about 30 of us that come from different countries. And uh, one of our sergeants from Argentina was really, and he spoke quite a few different languages. Um, But obviously, you were only really allowed to speak Hebrew in the military. The first few weeks we were there, he kind of, he occasionally spoke in different languages. And, 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 you know, one of the things he always said was, whatever you do, however hard you think it gets, don't give up. Yeah, just keep, just keep going, and that was that was basic training. You know, I remember my first night arriving um, in, in Shmoni, uh, uh base eighty, which I understand is still there, um, but it's a, it's a base for different things now. And um, they there was about one hundred and twenty of us, one hundred and thirty of us, all in all, groups of Olim Kadoshim um, uh, from different countries and the Israelis, all put together and. We were all told go and put all your bags over there in a big pile and everyone just and what you didn't what we couldn't understand is all these raiders have put numbers on their bags yeah. we hadn't been told to and we couldn't understand why they had numbers on their bags you know very quickly yeah And then you all have to run back and then run to the trees come back again you spend the whole night running to trees and then in the morning say go and collect your bag and it's like there's a hundred bags you know
1: yeah.
0: bags
2: <laughs> with no numbers on it's like which is mine
0: yeah Yeah, the whole yeah, it's that was an interesting like change, because theft from soldier to soldier when I was there was a common thing, and you know when I was there, um, you get occasionally you would get someone who used to serve in like the U.S. Marine Corps or something, and they came to the Israeli military, and they quite often had mental breakdowns because they just could not handle from that super structured uh, military to it's like it's every man for himself but it's not every man for himself in the idf and it's it's a very different world experience i think i don't know what it was like back in your day but
2: um it was probably a little bit more structure i mean it i'll be honest with you. the last few years i was there there was a lot of changing i mean um when i first went into the military israel was what two million just under two million people mm. You no, know, and then towards the end we had the influx of the Russians coming in, and and a few other groups coming in, and it went from two million, I think, to five and a half, and then it went up to six, and and the influx we saw coming in into military was massive, yeah. um, and and lots of things. I think it became very very big, very very quickly, and I think a lot of a lot of the higher the powers above weren't really sure how to cope. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that started to, I wouldn't say go wrong. But um, it was a lot of confusion. But for the first few years I was in, it it, it was it was a much smaller country back then. And yeah. in the eighties and early nineties, um, it, it was a lot more. We still had the old sergeants, um, who had the old moustaches. You know, from the fifties and sixties, they looked like I'm sure they weren't, but they looked like they were. Yeah, Go right. around with a big long moustache that they twiddle at the end. Yeah. And <laughs> their, uh, with their yardstick and. But towards the end of the military, they all seem to disappear. They all died out. And, um, yeah, it, it was,
1: uh, it, it,
2: it was an experience. I think I, yeah. I was at the end of seeing the old style Israeli military. And then I kind of towards the end when I was leaving, I think the Israeli military changed to a much more modern.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, what, what I experienced is they, they tell the story. They still act like it was probably when you were in the military. But it doesn't, they, they tell the stories and they're like, this is how we do this. And I'm like, I, you're not doing that. Mm. <laughs> you know, they trot out the war heroes every year. And I'm yeah. like, cause the difference was from then to now, I think is it was really about survival and now it's more about just leave us alone kind of a thing. And a lot of people don't want to be there anymore. Like I talked to lots of guy, why are you in combat? Well, I, I have to be here. I'd rather be in combat, you know, than not. So uh, you see that, that the sort of attitude is shifted. Was the, the, the volunteers you know, from England or America or Canada, we all took it a little bit more seriously. And the Israelis didn't really get that, except for the Israelis who had been in armed conflict or had been in Gaza. Or had been, they're like, yeah, no, they have the right act. You know, me and uh, the foreigners, we all used to go buy knives and carry knives on, and they don't give them to you there, right? And the, the younger Israelis are like, well, what's wrong with you? And I remember having uh, one of our second lieutenants be like, no, there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with you. They know what they're <laughs> doing. Uh, the I, like, I, I yeah. used to
2: live um, after a few years, we moved down to a kibbutz near Gaza on the border of Gaza. Yeah. So, you know, when I went home from the military, you know, when I'd get off the bus, it was a mile and a half walk. Most of the time in the dark next to the border of Gaza to the kibbutz, you know, and if I didn't carry a weapon. Yeah. You know, you know or I wasn't quick enough i mean i'm not going to say any more than that but but you, you <laughs> had to you had to protect yourself you had yeah. to yeah it, it was you know again it's different now they've got the wall they've got the fences and whatever back then that didn't exist you know yeah. it was a little fence back then um that anyone could walk across you know I, i'm sure there were places where you couldn't but it's very very different as it is now very very yeah different.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, so you do your military service. Do you stay in Israel or do you go go back to the U.K.?
2: After military? Yeah. After the military, I came back to the U.K. Um, um, I settled down here, had some children here, and I kind of live here now. But I, I try and go back to Israel, if I can, nearly every year for training, to see old uh, army buddies, uh, have family that live there.
0: Hmm. So then how did you, how did Global Kapop come about and uh, the whole okay. organization?
2: Okay, so I kind of, I left Israel um, um, early 90s after the Gulf War, I think 92 or 93 I came back and I started to look for Krav Maga clubs and I kind of, I was a bit disillusioned because up until then I'd been studying it quite consistently and I'd been studying another system which I didn't realize was called Kapap, um, <laughs> um, which is more of a it's more of a detaining system rather than a want to hurt them system, but it does have it in as well. I mean, it has quite a few different sides. I'm sure uh, Krav Maga, again, I only got to see Krav Maga from the military side. I never saw a civilian Krav Maga, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I came back to the UK and I wanted to find something. And I just, I just couldn't, every club I went to, it was all fancy stuff. Um, there was a lot of karate moves and because I was quite good at karate, I could see all the karate moves and I just thought, well, no, I, I know there is, karate and and boxing and jiu jitsu and stuff, in but what they were teaching wasn't anything I'd seen. Mm. Um, So I I stuck it out for a few years and I kind of, I went back into jujitsu and I went back into karate and and then one day I just said, look, you know, um, I I did a lot of work with police back then and I said, let's start our own organization. The guys went, funnily enough, we're actually starting our own organization. We'd love you to be the head of it. Back then it was called Kapap England. Um, um, which didn't go too well that lasted for a year <laughs> um, and then we started uh, something called British Capap which went on for quite a few years and, until we grew and then we realised we didn't really want to use the word British anymore even though I'm proud to live here and proud to be a British citizen we didn't want to use the word anymore because we were finding it was restricting where we could go yeah um, so we changed to global Kapap, and since then we've just we've expanded I mean, yeah know, we're in many, many countries.
3: Um,
0: How many countries?
2: Uh, oh, gosh. I can tell you. Hold on. We are in... Uh, UK, Ireland, Germany, Austria, Italy, Poland, Dubai, Singapore, um, and a few others that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they're the main ones we actually have clubs in. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were the first organization to be allowed to officially hang the Israeli flag in Dubai.
0: Oh, nice! Um, That's a big accomplishment. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, obviously, there's now ties between yeah. Israel and Dubai, and most people don't realise that, but there are ties. Yeah. Um, you know, and and everything, but but really proud of that. Um. But yeah, we we we've we've been to other countries like Indonesia, that uh, don't officially allow Israelis to come in. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh I arrived on my British passport, uh I was met by the head of the one of the mosques in Surabaya who hugged me and said he was so proud that I was there and I was I was quite shocked and surprised yeah. actually. You know, but that was a great visit. Um yeah. So yeah, I mean we we've been to, you know, quite a few places. We have lots of clubs and we've done really, really well and you know, and we're still going.
0: You know, That's good. We're still That's... there. That's like every Kramagaka Pop organization's dream. I want to be in multiple countries. And then you can play out the battle of who's got more clubs where and we're the biggest, you know. <laughs>
2: well, that, that's the thing. When I first, it, it's funny because a lot of the other guys, um, especially some organizations, really politically have not been happy with what I've done.
0: Yeah. In what sense?
2: Um, The fact that I've done quite well.
0: Oh, well. Uh, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's, up, it's upset a
2: few people. But I never intended to be this big or have these many clubs or whatever. I I always said, um, we have a board of members who've been with me since the beginning now, and and they're now on the board. And I've always said to them, you know, um, I started off small and I just wanted to grow slowly. I was never interested in becoming really, really big, really, really quick. Lots and lots of clubs. I've never done that. We still don't do that. But, for 11 years now we've been very successful growing slowly and and we've built a reputation and it's got to the stage now where yeah unfortunately we have got involved in politics sometimes don't like to but it happens mm. we have peed a few people off you know um it happens you know but but the contracts we have and the work we do is is very professional you know yeah. we also have a company that works behind us that, um, you know, we have two awarding bodies. So we supply professional courses through our organization with, uh, you know, awarding body certification. So this is certification that's valid all over the world. Um, so we, you know, as an organization, we've done very well, but we don't go onto the rooftop and, you know, blow a horn and say, look at us.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, not, it's similar growth, like what, what I want to do. It's, if you grow too fast, you end up as almost a McDoja. You know, it's one of my biggest... You know, and I'm I'm not the most like spectacular high-level practitioner. I think I'm a much better teacher than I am a practitioner, but the biggest flaw in the entire Krav god Kapop global thing is the over-eagerness to hand out instructor certificates. And here's a course, here's an instructor's, and you just see the results of the quality control has gone out the window. And in North America in particular, just a lot of people who do other styles of martial arts like jujitsu which i also do um where there's still some level of you know black belt is your know, black belt and they don't really take krav maga seriously okay. because of the lack of uh of, of quality control what are your thoughts on, on that without getting uh, too political. <laughs>
2: well i'm not gonna lie when we first started we did exactly that hmm. you know and that's one of the reasons why i kind of split from the original organization because i said i'll you know all that the, in the beginning it was like well we need to make money we need to just get these people through the courses and I, I i was never happy that first year i kind of i didn't enjoy it i wasn't happy i wasn't happy with the way things going and eventually we split the, the first group i was with we split because i said i, I don't want to run the organization like this Yeah. You know, now we're very selective who comes to our instructor courses we probably have six, nine, ten people maximum on a course, never more than that. Mm. Everyone is interviewed. Everyone is checked. Um, um, everyone has to have pre-training. Has to prove that they can train. Prove that they can teach. They can't just come on a course. We don't do that. Every now and then we slip up. It happens.
1: Yeah. So, um, but,
2: uh, most of those people don't survive more than a few months anyway. Yeah. Um, but We have behind us some amazing instructors and some amazing names um you know um and and as i said we've done very well with it the people who come to us we've got another course going in june hmm. and the people that come on this course are all funnily enough high level instructors or instructors that have been around for 35 40 years who go we actually really like what you're doing yeah we like what you're teaching we see what you're doing actually is real and makes sense can yeah. we come on your course and i'm like well no, you just have, you have to, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, you have to do this and you have to do that. And, and at the end of it, they're kind of like, oh, we're really glad that you asked those questions. You know, we're really glad that you make it that hard. It shouldn't be open to everyone. Yeah. You know, whereas you know, we I- see a lot of schools. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to digress a little bit here because yeah. most instructor courses, is you go along for four or five days, you get to beat people up, people get to beat you up. And at the end of it, they give you a certificate and say you're an instructor. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's probably the majority of instructor courses. Yeah. Whereas we, we're completely the opposite to that. Our courses are all about um, um, teaching, the ability to teach. You have to bring something to the table. You have to show what you can teach. Yeah. Um, you have to prove. We have at least two or three senior instructors on in any course, and they have to prove that they can teach. They also have to prove that they can hold their worth on the mat. It doesn't mean about beating anyone up or anything like that, but, but what they're showing could actually work well they've got to prove that it could work yeah and it's not just about you know I, I'm not interested in any old technique being put yeah out there. As I said, I'm i a six dan in karate you know I'm also a jiu-jitsu man and a few other bits and pieces and I can show all that stuff but most of that will not work on the street yeah you, you knifed, you know? yeah.
0: yeah especially in the UK we we can get to that I actually had a similar experience like um. We're not like I wasn't, I'm not a big school. Vancouver is not a good place to teach Kramaga if you want to make money. Um, but uh, you know, when when uh, Commando Kramaga was blown out of the water and uh, few other instructors from international instructors came here, they did some inst- instructor certifications in Vancouver. Everyone was trying to like because uh, Vancouver, where I am, for whatever reason, is where Commando Kramaga was based out of in North America. Um, and when Moni Isaac was proven to be a fraud and all that shenanigans, people were like searching around for something. And at the time we were the only school running like a legitimate program, not just teaching Krav Maga, but running a program. And I had people who've been doing it longer than me come say, Hey, we want to work with you. Can we get cert- certified as an instructor? And I said, um, yeah, sure. But, uh, you have to go through our program you need to go through the ranking at the very least so you understand how to rank other people under our system and he you have to go through this uh, instructor course which is a lot of theory i teach a lot of theory yep. um and the guess what response i got <laughs> no i'm not doing that yeah well yeah. too bad so sad go away
2: <laughs> no. yeah we've had a lot of that we've had a lot yeah. of that you know over the years i, I i've the amount of I say, senior instructors, instructors of high levels come to us, supposedly high levels. Yeah. You know, they yeah, I can do this and I can do that, and we're like, really? Yeah. Okay, well, you know, um, come on this course beforehand, come on this seminar beforehand, let's see, and and they attend, and you look at them, and you just think, "Mm." yeah, you know, you're not, you know, you don't know how to stand, you don't know how to move, and you can as a as a as a just as a martial artist, let's say you can see how someone else can handle themselves just by as soon as they get on on the mat we call it on the mat whether it be on the floor or mats or whatever but as soon as they come on and they have to handle themselves against somebody you can just see straight away this guy's either experienced or he's not experienced and then you listen to how they talk and and you know for me there are two main things i'm not interested in how big he is how many muscles he's got how hard he can hit Mm. there's always someone that can hit harder than you i'm not interested you know if we're going to have teachers they they need to know how to teach, how to be professional, how to talk to people, how to get across the ideas of what we do, how to get across our values, how to understand how to teach a syllabus, and how to follow the syllabus. I mean, at the end of the day, the Kapap syllabus is quite different to the Kramagar syllabus. The Mm Kramagar syllabus is quite strict and rigid rigid in the way that it has to be taught. Mm -hmm. Um, The Kapap syllabus is pretty open. We have our techniques, but they can throw in anything else they want but yeah. it still has to be performed properly they still have to teach it properly it still has to be gone across properly
0: yeah yeah i mean i my yeah uh, excuse me my i went away from previous standardized curriculum because i found they're too bloated or they're they're keeping old techniques that i i don't know or you know you get instructors who are big and i'm they're teaching stuff i'm like that doesn't work for me and it's yeah. never going to work exactly. for me So, I want to pick techniques that will work for the majority of people the majority of time if they're applying the right aggression. And, you know, I'll tell people, hey, like, this is the curriculum. You need to learn it. But if, like, because that's what I'm testing you on, but if you do something else in the test and you don't, you know, quote, die, uh, you passed as far as I'm concerned, you know um i find usually people, like i had someone come from another large organization and they had been doing it for many 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 years and they were using the older techniques i'm like more grabbing oriented and i was like i don't like them and in the in the middle of one of the tests they sh- they kept they almost got stabbed you know a fake knife and he almost failed and then they just like clicked and they stopped doing that technique and started doing what i was showing them which is more gross motor movement I'm like, you understand why I'm teaching that? And he's like, "Yep, totally, I understand. It's just the stubbornness of these old organizations sometimes."
2: I know. I mean, just just for us, it's the same. I mean, I, you know, I'm five foot nothing. Yeah. And and I, I teach up to guys who are six foot seven, six foot eight. You know, some yeah. of them. And I I teach other people who are the same height as me. You know, it's all different. And we always say, look, what works for me might not work for you, and what works for you might not work for me. But we need to find a middle ground. We need to find yeah what works. And, and this is really important. Um, again, in Krav Maga, I see, no, it's like this. You have to do it at that angle. No, it must be like that way. And it doesn't matter on your size. You've got to do it like that. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work. It yeah. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, and the instructors, they don't like it when you say it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, they get very upset with you. Um, they kind of, as I said, we moved away from a lot of organizations. Um, we're slowly... No, shall I say, they're slowly coming towards us. Um, it's not the other way around. Um, um, I'm a little bit stubborn. Yeah. I, I, I believe, look, if you can show me the technique working, we'll, we'll practice this and we'll do it under stress. Yeah. If you can show me your technique working, I'll adapt. Yeah. But if you can't, I'm not interested. I, I don't yeah. want to know. You know, yeah. I, I'm teaching people to save their lives. I'm not teaching people you know uh, a traditional art where they go home and they don't actually use it you know um, i this, this is I mean God forbid anyone should be attacked but a prime example is, is a student of one of my instructors got attacked a few weeks ago um, It was on the local news uh, well he didn't get attacked sorry uh, a schoolboy came out with a knife and tried to attack one of the teachers and he blocked it uh, and he stopped them put the boy down he got cut on his arm cut on his hand you know but, but he controlled the knife Stop the other teacher from getting killed. Hmm. And the police were involved. The newspapers were involved. The BBC was involved. So on and so on and so on. But he did the right thing. And we always say, you will be cut. It doesn't matter, you know, what's happening. No one's a superhero. If someone's got a knife. You're going to be sliced, cut, whatever. But if you're sliced and cut, most of the time you survive. Hmm. you're stabbed, you probably won't. Yeah. And, and And the thing is, you know, we teach just... Do what you need to do and control it and stop it. You know? Yeah. The quicker you can stop it, the quicker you can stop a knife, the more chance you've got a survival. You know. Yeah. Try, try and do silly moves and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to, because you're in the UK, talk about the knives. But before we go off on that, I, because uh, you're saying you're stubborn, like me as well. <laughs> How did you get involved with the uh, IKF, the International k Federation?
2: Okay, so that that's... It's not such a long story. I used to be under another uh, Israeli instructor who I broke away from. Um, when I broke away from him, he wasn't a happy chappy. Um,
0: surprise! Surprise,
2: <laughs> surprise. Um, I don't want to mention any names because that's <clears throat> um But I kind of... I discovered a meet, Um And then I, you know, I knew about Chaim uh,
1: um
2: I knew about... Um, avi and uh i kind of avi broke away from haim it was quite a um a thing and and a meat kind of appeared on the scene and he's kind of like the new boy um hmm. i mean he's very good i say new boy i shouldn't say that's very rude but <laughs> man very very good i mean yeah. you know he's amazing he's young he's fit he's athletic you know he's got boy everything. is he <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got everything that most people want i i i've always admired haim you know going back as many years as I can think of, I've always admired Haim, you know, um, the guy is just a wonder. I mean, he really is. Every time I train with him, it's just an experience. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I kind of, I went to them and said, look, I'd really like to be part of your organization and blah, blah, blah. And they were like really happy and said, look, you know, obviously Haim must have done his homework because he seemed to know quite a lot about me. Mm. Um, and I can't imagine he wouldn't have done, especially being the rank he is and, so mm. um yeah they accepted me um i trained with them for quite a time and then you know they wanted me to come and do an instructor course which i was a little bit reluctant again that's my stubbornness
3: mm. um
2: but i did it and kind of you know they said look you know we really want to make you a senior instructor you know and i'm like eh, "Sorry sure about that <laughs> um but they made me a senior which is lovely you know um, mm. i'm not really sure what it means yeah you're just an instructor yeah
1: um
2: but you know it's a, it's a great privilege um i've trained with them a few times in israel i was hoping to go last year um love to go this year but it depends what happens at the moment
0: it probably be um, another year or two at this rate i think
2: yeah i think so um um but uh, yeah no i mean Chaim's amazing i mean it's amazing the organization what i like is they're virtually non-political Prime mm. is not interested in inside the organization in politics. Outside a different matter. But inside the organization, he's not interested in politics. And I like that. I like that. Yeah. He doesn't care who you are. His, his motto is get on the mat and train. Yeah. I don't care who you are, how old you are, how young you are, how thick you are. How bit, I don't care. Get on the mat and train. And it meets the same. And I like that. You know, mm. I like that attitude. And when you get on the mat and train, you meet people from all over the world. And a lot of them are better than you. And, and I also like that. I I hate the fact that people kind of it was going oh ma- I hate being called master to start yeah. I hate it yeah. know, and everywhere I go they go oh yeah master lovely to see you and I'm like yeah right okay <laughs> yeah um so when I can actually train and 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 someone slams me into the ground I'm like yes <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is this is me this is this is what I like it yeah. doesn't happen too often but that's what I like you know yeah. um it gets harder as you get older um, yeah. but that's what I like I like to train. I like to teach I love teaching mm. but I also occasionally it's really good to train and to find yeah. someone who's better than you and then you know try out what, what what's working what isn't working and you know, yeah. I like that
0: I like yeah that. That. that's that's the, ins- the instructor trap when you start teaching you stop training a lot of the time you know and it's uh it's uh, a challenge like, for me personally like uh Krav Maga is my passion, but uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is my love. Right now, I'm training Jiu Jitsu mostly because um, I'm just teaching Krav right now and developing as I go along. <clears throat> but I train Jiu Jitsu all the time. And in Jiu Jitsu, you know, you get those young stud athletes coming along. <laughs> it's it's quite the challenge. And, you know, you got to refine and get better and, and yeah. figure out how to survive and, and just keep going, right? Yeah. And then know where you go. At least at the gym I'm at, there's not too much ego so we we
2: that's good but then most of the most of the bjj clubs i've been to there isn't that much ego. yeah it's quite interesting um when they seem to do their fights it seems to be a lot of ego when they're going to do competitions but in the actual yeah. clubs i've noticed um i have been told off a few times though because i come from a traditional jiu-jitsu background called Kobe yeah club. yeah and, and and there you know, you know we fight. <laughs> <laughs> And we break things, and the BJJ guys don't like that. So we have to be. Oh, I have to be a little bit careful, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I do like it. I mean, one of one of our senior instructors is actually studying at the moment, and he's working for a famous gym up in mm. the, the, the Hammer. Um, and they've got some amazing BJJ champions coming out of that place. Yeah. And uh, and, and he's, the last two years he's been there. He's changed a lot. Yeah. So incredibly fit for his age, unbelievable. Um, but i was training with him a few weeks ago and he's got some great stuff that he's doing you know yeah Open my mind once again to what we could introduce if the situation is you we went to the ground yeah because most of the, most of our ground work is very very nasty yeah um, very quick very nasty and really hurting them yeah the worst possible situation yeah um, but anyway
0: yeah ground ground stuff and, crops. and crops. Sorry. sorry can you hear me there just cut out there for a sec. Can you hear me?
2: I can hear you. Yeah.
0: Oh, I just uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, cool. Cool. yeah. just a signal. Okay. I kept back in. Yeah. Ground stuff and Krav, you know, don't go to the ground. Don't go to the ground. Don't go to the ground stay off the ground. And, and I found it created a weakness. Yeah. At, and with the rise of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and publicity of wrestling. And I did a, I did a jiu-jitsu summer in Hawaii with a very famous female uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner. And I just watched them, like, destroy a bunch of bla- uh, black belt males. And I'm like, man, like, if you get on the ground with someone who really knows what they're doing, you, 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 I mean, you might be able jobs. to get them in the eye. But once they realize what you're doing, it's over, right? And I, mean, I found... Go on, sorry. Oh yeah, I found like when I have gone to train with other Krav people in North America, at least when it comes to the ground, they they kind of gloss over people. And even when I was a white belt, I I would smash everyone. Mm. And it's just the people are lost in the. I think Krav oh, maybe even kebab on the ground sometimes. And, we've and it's like that. We've yeah.
2: that I mean, over the last couple of years, we've really changed our changed our groundwork system because we. we I mean, even I, uh, you know, felt kind of. I mean, I mean, I've mean, i been studying jiu-jitsu for years, but uh, I kind of, I did it myself, but I didn't teach anyone. Mm. I used to think, well, I'm not going to teach them this stuff because this is arm bars and leg bars and stuff like that. And, and then we kind of, we started looking at our groundwork and realizing, I mean, first of all, we had a few Krabagar uh, guys come in who, when put on the ground, really lost it, just didn't know were lost yeah. And we just thought well okay we're not that bad but we need to be even better than that so we've been last few years i said spending a lot of time with the bjj guys um and uh, and a few other people and we've been kind of looking at our groundwork how we can make it better how we can improve mm-hmm. it i wouldn't say it's fantastic but from what i've seen from a lot of other clubs that do self-defense it seems to be okay i'm not going to yeah. say we're them because there's always someone that's better than you, but it seems yeah. to be a, you know, yeah. but there's always room for improvement. Yeah. One of the things in England, and we always say this, and I, and I can't, I can't account for other countries because, I mean, I go teaching other countries, but I don't live there. And one of the things in England is many, many fights in this country go to the ground. And a lot of that is due to drink. Yeah. Uh, the English love their drink. Well, not just the English now. I mean, most people <laughs> who live there love their drink. You know, so when one hits the other one, one falls to the ground and then the other one wants to jump on top of him and then it's like, you know, where'd you go from there? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm fascinated by fighting. Um, um So I live in central London, so I have the privilege of living across the road from a place that's not got a good reputation, but I'm across the road. So occasionally at weekends, I go in there and I watch the groups fighting and, you know, the police come along and they stop it all after 10 or 15 minutes, but... I find it really interesting. I, I watch what they do and how they do it and, and even the people who you can see aren't trained, some of the stuff they do is like you think, okay, I could use that. Okay, I really like <laughs> what they're doing there, you know. Um it's it's interesting. I I, I, I do a lot of evaluation. I, I if I see things going off I like to watch. If it's bad see I'll always call the police. If it's not bad I just I'm fascinated by seeing how people actually interactive verbal physical i find it very interesting
0: yeah and it's a just a side tangent like i kind of alluded to it earlier my father's actually from from south london unfortunately he's not very other than his accent which i don't even hear anymore it's uh he's not very british so i i was not really indoctrinated into british culture and all my family's not there so i never really you know got to experience but to me it's always like you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a different culture, even though we're both westernized countries. And, yeah. and I often use that uh, just talking to my students. I, it's, a, it's a global phenomenon, it's a human phenomenon that people don't understand other countries as well as they think they do. And violence in England is very different than violence here. Now I'm in Vancouver, it's a very safe city. And I always have to remind people, it's a very safe city and people are, no, it's not. It's like, it's a, listen, man, you have no idea. I am not concerned in the least bit about walking down the street, even though there's a bit of a gang war right now. I know I'm not in a gang. The chances of me getting shot because they only shoot at each other is almost nothing. You know, I'm probably more likely to win the lottery than get shot in Vancouver. Um... But then I often use England as an example. You guys have stricter gun laws than we do here, and we have pretty strict gun laws, and yet people get stabbed nonstop. And shot. And, uh, oh, they do get shot a lot, yeah?
2: Oh, yeah. We, not a lot, but we have, we have shootings. <clears throat> yeah. Again, mainly in gangs. Yeah. Knives are mainly in gangs. Yes, there is, there is the occasional knife attack that just no one knows why it happened um but i'd say most of the knife attacks are between gangs most of the shootings are between gangs um you know if you're unlucky enough to be in the middle of it when it goes off or close to it when it goes off then you're unlucky we we get we get we get a lot of robberies here so what we call armed robberies so armed threats um rather than stabbings yeah we uh, I mean, we get a lot of stabbings but the stabbings again are mainly gangs yeah. What what we get as outside of gangs is we get a lot of threats um, with, with weapons. Um, yeah. That's that's quite unfortunately. Uh, I wouldn't say common, but that's probably one of the most common things that happens outside of gangs is threats. Yeah. Not too many stabbings outside of gangs. Cuts maybe they might cut you, and then take your wallet or your phone. Um, um, outside of gangs, we don't really see guns
0: yeah yeah i mean canadian gun culture is more more about the hunting and sport shooting like we're allowed to have guns there's a process it's not not like the americans um but you still get still p- get people terrified of it and it's just uh you know the you, so it's always interesting culturally the way people view violence and what's acceptable and, uh, and the why could why would you want that or how could you do this now obviously america's uh culture is influencing the world i think in ways that are annoying for me but uh, w- w- what's sort of the british attitude right now and like use of force for for policing or for uh in general bouncers or because it's very different from country to country i find yeah.
2: so so here for the last i think probably uh i'm not sure how many years we have something called an sia which is a standard industry uh, it's a it's a license anyone Mm. who works in the security industry must pass this course to have a license and to be quite honest with you the course is very simple very very easy Um, it's all about de-escalation
1: yeah
2: there's some basic techniques you learn um but it's about de-escalation but if you hit somebody you lose your license and if you lose your license you're no longer working. Mm. Uh, whereas 15 20 years ago in our security industry yeah. you didn't get license and all the doormen used to hit anyone they could and, mm. and it was fun for all. So that's all changed. Yeah. Uh, you still get the odd doorman, you know, who wants to hit someone and um then they, you know, they take their job in their hands because they lose their license, that's it. Yeah. Um but in the security industry things have got better. Yeah. Um yeah as far as laws are concerned um, I mean we do we do actually have pretty strict laws here. I wouldn't say everyone adheres to them, yeah, but everyone knows them, and majority of people within reason try and keep within them. You're not supposed to carry a knife, yeah, you uh, are carrying a knife, it's either for work or for fishing or something like that. It's got to be under. I think three inches in length and you've got to have a permit to carry it or a reason why you're carrying it if you get stopped um if you get stopped yeah the possibility of you getting stopped is quite small um but that's about it yeah, guns are legal um all weapons are illegal yeah in this country i mean every form of weapon yeah. yeah but then most people don't realize like when i teach people well actually this pencil is an amazing weapon yeah go, what oh yeah
0: just say john wick with the pencil (laughs) yeah
2: you know and then you know when we have women coming to the i I sometimes get them especially we have seminars on self-defense for women you know we we bring a lot of guys in to kind of you know hit them and batter them and in a nice way yeah um and we always say have a look inside your handbag or your purse and it's amazing that weapons they you know when we say but that's a weapon and and the shock on their face when they realize their handbag has more weapons in it than your average, you know, fuck carries on the street. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: but yeah, on the whole, um, my personal opinion is England is actually quite a safe place. I mean, mm. yeah, we have a lot of problems, just like every place, every, every country in the world. We have a lot of gang problems, but outside of the gangs, it's not so bad, you know? Mm. Um, you can walk down the street without having to look behind you every ten seconds. You know, um, we we teach we, we teach awareness. You, we teach all our students to be aware, but but not to be paranoid. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, I mean, things happen. Things happen in every country, but I, on the whole, I would say it's probably a relatively safe place. But then that's me talking. You know, coming from Israel. Yeah. So it's a whole different ball game altogether.
0: Yeah. And well, you know, it's still,
2: it's still a safe place.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that, like when I was in Israel, even as a civilian, like say in Tel Aviv, I actually felt safer there in general than a lot of other places that I've been, even there's places in Vancouver that are more, I'm uh, way more alert than I would be walking around in, in Tel Aviv. <laughs> <Yeah. We laughs> Obviously not same. right now, but
2: yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, we, we again, we have the same in London, you know, yeah. uh, London's there's a few cities in England that are have certain areas that are no go and you know, Liverpool, certain areas, London, certain areas, you know, Manchester, certain areas, but as a tourist, you wouldn't never go to those areas. You wouldn't even know about those areas, you know? And if you live there, you know what the rules are. Hmm. Um, So that's just, you know, I'm sure that applies to nearly every single country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In general. So what, um, from your perspective from the uk and you guys sort of attitudes what what are your thoughts kind of like what's going on in the states like the derek chauvin case and all the other like high profile cases because i think it's just really interesting to get different perspectives from you know all over the world uh, when I it mean, comes I, to you yeah
2: i only know what i see on the news obviously mm, um yeah um, i mean i've got a few friends in america that i i talk to but we see a lot of stuff on the news and i think a lot of the news it, again, I can't talk for every country, but I think a lot of the news in this country is quite biased. Yeah. You um, think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not naming any names. BBC. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, um, I think, you know, I mean, I'll talk one, one case for instance. Again, I, I don't want to talk names or whatever, but, you know, kneeling on someone, you know, yeah. when putting handcuffs on and if they're saying that they can't breathe, they can't breathe. I mean, we, we teach handcuffs in in our organization um through a company called icm so it's all certified it's all under police rules and regulations and it's a no-no uh-huh. uh, when you when you're arresting someone you're restraining someone you use you know whatever you need to restrain them and then as soon as the handcuffs are on you get them up or you sit them up or you know you don't keep them on the floor yeah you don't kneel i mean that's one instance i mean you know there's there's, there's been quite a few cases now in the States, and and, and we've just had one case here in the UK, mm. um, um, of a security guard actually arresting, and restraining a guy, and uh, he did die. You know, that mm. um, was in a holiday camp. Um, um, it wasn't this year, but we've had one case, and and the thing is, it's 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 very important that people are taught the correct ways. I mean, as 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 a former military guy and someone who's worked with the police and and handcuffs for years when I see some of these atrocities that I see you know and again I only see what I see on the news I, it, it, it shocks me it yeah. shocks me that I I I went out a few years ago and did some work with uh, Santa Monica police uh, and uh, and then I also went down to Santa Clara and, and I did a, a whole seminar with um, a group down there jiu-jitsu guys and whatever and um, And I, I, again, I got to work with a lot of police officers and their ideas of rest and restraint were quite um, over the top. Let's put it that way. It it was very violent, very vicious and very. And then they said to me, well, we have to be like that because that's how the people are here. Now, again, I don't live there. So who am I to say that the people aren't like that? I don't know. You know, um, I, I think training needs to change attitude needs to change but but it needs to change at the top yeah unless it's going to do that anyone underneath that chain of command it's not going to change you know it doesn't matter yeah. how much people moan and complain yeah you know, if the powers that be say no actually you know what we need to change how we do things we need to change how we talk to people we need to change how we approach people unless that happens nothing's going to change
0: yeah yeah i think you know i mean my I am not completely opposed to neon neck, depending on what's going on. I do teach it as part of the component, uh, depending on how it's being applied. Uh, I mean, the consensus in that case is that was way too long. (laughs) That was not acceptable. Um, if
2: if you need to hold them down, absolutely. But there should be two officers there. Yeah. You know, one's holding him down. The other one's handcuffing him and then you get him up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Either
2: sit him up, you know, or stand him up, you know, or hold him up one either side. You know um but you don't leave i mean you never leave someone laying on the ground unless you've got no choice yeah now, we all know there was more than two police officers there mm. yeah so uh, in that case i i'm i'm just i'm I'm a bit surprised that everyone allowed him to do that i'm i'm, yeah. I'm a bit shocked at that yeah um, you know because that, that's a no-no here in this country yeah yeah
0: yeah it's weird like because depends who i ask in canada and depends which police force is Like, for example, uh, chokeholds are not allowed, but carotid controls are. And it's like anyone who knows, knows there's no damn difference. You know, Um, it's a legal thing.
2: Yeah, we we, we have officer safety training here in this country. And and the thing is, the police are told, these are the things that you can use. But everyone knows when when the shit hits the fan, you do whatever you can to control the situation. And if a chokehold just comes into play, it comes into play. Yeah. The most important thing is you, you you control the situation, you know, you restrain the person. And, and 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 that's it. Once they're restrained, they're restrained. But if you haven't restrained them properly, then your training isn't good enough. Yeah. You know. You know um, but it's very rare that any police officer, including in this country, is ever on their own. Unless they're yeah. off duty. You know. Uh, we've had a few spates in the past where they put single police officers on the street, but it's not so common anymore now. They normally work in twos. Yeah. It's, you know, we have, I mean, we're getting like all the other countries now. We don't have guns. Well, we do. We have armed police officers, but most of the time they don't walk the streets. They're normally in armed police units in cars or they're on embassies. But The officers that walk the streets, they they all have the, um, what do you call it, gun? Um, electric um, stun... Uh,
0: yeah a stun gun taser yeah
2: taser taser that's yeah. the what i'm looking for yeah they all have the taser you know a lot of them have the cs gas um in fact i'm not even sure if they use cs gas anymore now i think it's a different kind of gas they've got now but um because i know there were certain rules on that or, or they've got the the the, the extending baton yeah
1: so,
0: you
2: know, anyone who's silly enough to go against that then well we'll fool them
0: yeah <laughs> now it's a, like my stance of firearms. I, I mean i do think police should have them but to me it's a it's a mentality shift of if you're pulling that thing out it's because you're about to die or it's life or death now with that being said they're not getting sufficient training with firearms or on armed arm combat to know i don't need to pull this out now because they use it as a, a threat tool a lot of the time and then they don't know what to do.
2: Well, prime, prime know, example is a few weeks ago, as you know, the, 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 the a soldier who got pulled over in a petrol station in America.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Saw that
2: one by the two police officers, and He took his gun out. Yeah. You know, pointed at him and told him to get out of the vehicle. I mean, you know, why would you do that?
0: Yeah. You know, yeah, that um, case, I don't know. <laughs> Just yeah, what? That,
2: that, was, that was strange. I, I've never understood that. You know, we were always taught in the military, if your gun comes out the holster, it's only to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Come out, stop. Yeah. If it comes out. It's because you're shooting it. That's it. Yeah. It's not for any other kind of weapon. You yeah. Don't hit with it. <laughs> you're shooting them. You know. Yeah. So, um, unless you're on a range and then you're practicing, but I think a lot of it is training. I mean, again, I can't, I can't talk for America. I can, I can say here that the training here, you as a cadet, you get X amount of training, but once you become a full police officer, you know, you're lucky if you get 14 days a year training yeah self-defense hand-to-hand combat how to use your weapons it's very little um we we as an organization we are attempting to get into the market to change some of that we're never going to be able to change it all the police you know we have so many police forces in this country yeah um but if we could change it with one or two we'd be happy yeah but it's 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 resources it's money um And the other thing, again, I can't talk for America. In this country, if a police officer agrees to go and do a course, uh, let's say a hand-to-hand combat course, at the end of it, there's an exam.
1: If
2: he files the exam, that goes against him as a mark. Yeah. So most of these programs are volunteer programs. they don't have to do them. Mm. And for a police officer, if there's an exam at the end, and it might be the same in America, I'm not sure, if there's an exam at the end or there's a possibility that they're going to get a mark against them, Easy not to do it in a volunteer program.
0: Yeah, it's the wrong incentives then in of that. It case. Is. Yeah,
2: of course it is. You know, um, um, I know things are different depending on what police unit you're in in this country. Mm. Um, I can't talk for all of them, and I have to be careful because I do work with them. I, I love you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's not easy. But a lot of it is political. A lot of it is money. A lot of it is the powers that be. It's not the actual police officers themselves. I think. I I would probably go to say, and and I'm sure it's in most countries, the majority of police officers are good law-abiding citizens who do a great job. Unfortunately, there's always a few rotten apples.
1: Yeah.
2: You get that in the police, you get that in the military, you even get that in the Israeli military. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, unfortunately. You know, it's the, the few rotten apples that spoil it for everyone else.
0: Yeah. I don't get asked very often. Oh, Canadian security, first of all, is a joke as a concept. <laughs> it's, it's observe and report. It's nothing more. Um, but when I do teach security or I do teach, you know, police officers, usually it's private. Yeah, I'm never going to get a contract for nothing. Um, I'm always like, what is your, your protocol? And often uh, when someone, I get an email and I, you know, can you come and teach us? And my response is, I, can I get a copy of your use of force protocol? And when you even ask that, it's just the, they don't want to work with you anymore. And they're like, why do you want that? Or they just don't respond. And I'm like, because I can teach you whatever I want. If it's going to get them fired, what what use is, is that? You know, and it's well, this it, resistance.
2: It's funny you should say that in this country. I mean, lots of police officers, you know, um, train outside of. You Know they, they train in karate and jiu jitsu and judo mm. and taekwondo and whatever they want. There's no, there's no law in this country to say that they can't, but obviously they can't use that in the military. Yeah, oh, sorry, the police, but I'm not yeah. saying they wouldn't, but they shouldn't. Yeah, um, but I, th- I think a lot of that is down to their own, you know, lack of training, which as I said, it, it's, not, it's not their fault, it's mm. but the same applies here. If I asked, I mean, I, I've i seen the OST manual, Officer Safety Training manual, but if I asked anyone for a copy of it, it'd be, why do you want that? Yeah. Yeah, why would you ask me for that? It, it, it's just one of those things. It, it's, I don't know, I, I've never understood that either, but yeah, it's, you have to be careful what you ask for.
1: Yeah. You also have to be
2: careful what you say. You know, you don't want to upset anyone. You never know who you're teaching.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Up until now, most of our work has been private police officers, but you still don't know who you're teaching, you don't know what level you is. you don't ask those questions normally.
0: Yeah, uh, the politics, sometimes
2: you don't even know they're a police officer until you're in the pub later having a drink and he says, Oh, yeah, I'm off to work now. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I work for, oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, um, you know, um, the other kind of work is 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 different when you know you're going into work with them, um, yeah, but. it's interesting it's um you know as i said i I love doing what i'm doing um sometimes you have to be very very diplomatic
0: yeah which i am not that's why i'll never get those (laughs) i mean to me it's just illogical like we all understand there's a problem here anyone who who knows hand-to-hand combat to a high enough level knows what the issue is we know what the solution is and everyone doesn't want to do it you know more training Higher quality it, candidates, it, make it the job is available.
2: Again, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's not they don't want to do it. I think a lot of it is, the main thing I think is money. Mm. And the next is, is the political powers. Remember, every police force is run by government powers. Yeah. You know, and and I, again, I'm probably going to upset a few people here. I know a lot of the police high up believe that they run it, but they don't. Yeah. There's always someone above them. Yeah, and it's those powers that say well actually this is what you're going to do this is yeah. how you're going to do it and most of those powers have never been on the street half of them have probably never been police officers you know um, yeah they're, they're what we call you know pen pushers to work behind a desk yeah uh, But they decide what happens and, and unfortunately the fallout is your average police officer suffers you yeah know? um I, I would love it if you know if they made it public that police officers could train wherever they wanted and get any type of training, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. You no, know, you could imagine if they said, "Well, police officers are training everywhere," and the public will go, "Well, I don't feel safe." Yeah. <laughs> and and we know the public love to complain. Yeah. You know, um, you know if, if they needed a police officer, they'll be the first one to put their hand up. And say, "I need one. I need one." But if they see a police officer attending something else and he's using a, a chokehold to put them down, or an arm bar that slams them into the floor it's like oh we can't be doing that it's yeah like, oh. <laughs> you know it's got to be one way or the other i yeah. think my personal opinion i've i been to poland and i did a lot of work out there you don't mess with the polish police yeah okay? you don't mess with the polish police. There, there is no you know we're going to put you in an arm bar you are slammed to the floor you are treated badly and yeah. you know you don't and the polish and russian it's very very similar yeah I've done a lot of work with border guards and I've seen how they train and what training they get and they get quite a bit of training and, and their training is very efficient Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the only way I could describe it. Yeah. Um, Down to their gloves, having kind of knuckle bits built into their gloves and when they hit you, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting, you know, um, if one police force can do it, and everyone has total respect. I mean, if, if you see Polish police coming towards you, you, know, you don't argue with them. Yeah. You know, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, for sir. You know, mm. And if you've done something wrong, you're going to be you know,
1: punished for doing it. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but everyone knows where they stand. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of countries, and I think especially this one, the respect for a lot of police is gone. Yeah. Um, because police don't know where they stand anymore here. You know, they're not allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do that. They mustn't touch this. They mustn't talk to this one. They have to be careful how they approach this one. And and I think I think it's got to the stage where policemen just have gone well. Okay, you know what? I'll do the minimal job I can do, and that's. Yeah, it.
0: I think that's dangerous, personally. Now, I don't know if you're tracking what's happening in Canada at all. It's it's no. from from a policing because to do with COVID, it's 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 okay. it's very province to province. You know. And, you know, if you hear, oh, the police in Canada are being Gestapo. Well, in some provinces, they kind of are. Now, if you're where I am, it's a very different, I'm in British Columbia. The attitude is, please don't make us have to work harder than we need to. And they'll kind of leave you alone versus, uh, you know, in Alberta, the police have a very traditional, like, the the rule of law is the rule of law, and the government has said this, and therefore it's that, and they're arresting people. Quebec has gone full on, I mean, they're French, so they're doing that's They're, they're doing their thing. They're just full on like insanity with the rules. And like, if you're a Canadian, you're like, I don't understand what to think because every province is different. Uh, even if we have, we have a federal police force, RCMP, but they're not everywhere. Right. In Vancouver, they have VPD and, uh, Surrey, they have RCMP, which is a federal and even the RCMP are acting different, you know, province to province. So nobody knows what to expect and that will, you know, out here, some people will watch the news, what's going on in another province and be like, oh my God, the police are going to do that. I'm like, well, I don't think so here because that's just not the attitude here. And and you're just seeing a wild variance of what is allowed and not allowed based on what the the public is going to tolerate. Like here, I think a lot of people have sent some very angry emails. To their politicians saying, I don't think so. While as in say in Ontario, they're like, Yes, we need to stay safe. You you punish everyone. And it's just whatever the public voice who may not be the most informed, most of the time they're not, it dictates the politicians' decisions, and then the cops are stuck, you know, in the middle, I think. And it's I, I don't think I'd want to be a police officer right now, personally.
2: I mean, we had something similar in England eight seven, eight months ago, when the government yeah. said, you know these are the rules. If you don't abide by the rules, you will be stopped. You may be arrested. And we actually had the police stopping people, you know, in the park who were sitting down on benches because the government mm. said you weren't allowed to sit in the parking benches. Yeah. And you know, there was two or three older people sitting down because they were tired sitting on a bench and they were getting arrested. Yeah. You know, And, and the public were going, you can't do that. And, and the government said, well, those are the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it was a, a very sad situation. I mean, you know, me and my wife were walking through the park a few months ago and we saw a group of artists, there was probably seven of them, I think, um, relatively sitting about a metre distance from each other, drawing a, a small lake. But four police officers came along, decided that they were too close. Started just grabbing all their equipment and, and, and saying you're under arrest and whatever and these were all older people just sitting there minding their own business, just painting. And I just thought it was a little bit heavy handed, but but those were the rules. Mm. You know, and I think it depends on I think it depends on the police officer. I think it depends on what kind of day they've had. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, how they're feeling, you know. <laughs> well
0: that's a human thing, I think, right? And yeah, how you're feeling. So. Yeah, I think
2: yeah. so. That- well, fantastic things happen as well so you know the police aren't all bad but it it, i'm not sure if we have what you have in canada i mean we have different police forces up and down the country but on the whole they all seem to follow the same kind of rules Hmm. it doesn't differ so much
0: yeah i mean i think uk is a little more unified in that sense Uh, Canada's. like, again, we have crime is, is regulated uh, federally, so it's across the board. And the RCMP are kind of like their police force, but they're also our FBI. Um, some provinces have uh, a provincial police force, like in Ontario. So what happened like in Ontario is most of the city police said to the premier of the province, we're not enforcing the rules the way you're telling us to. But then the, because pervi- pervi- they said it goes against our Charter of Rights, and we're not doing that. But then the Provincial Police Force, which gets paid directly by the, the Provincial Government, is are being very heavy-handed. And you're seeing, if you follow the money, a lot of the times, who's paying the money? Because in a city police, it's a city. But in the Provincial Police, it's, it's a province. And it's the province making the extreme mandates. So, um You saw like the Toronto police said, we are, I'm sorry, we're not going to do random stop search and seizures. That would be illegal. We're not doing that. We don't care what you tell us versus the provincial one, even though it's still kind of, it's a gray area, but not really. Most most legal scholars have said you cannot do that. It's illegal. And we're just waiting for all the court challenges to go through all the various courts to find out. And, and and it's I mean as a Canadian citizen it's a little concerning because if if the courts say no the government's are in the right well guess what they've just thrown out our constitution essentially and it's like okay crap we don't have what we thought we had and from a from and why I'm concerned about that is I'm seeing this all over the world and, and if you watch like uh, Amnesty International and like international freedom rights groups are screaming now like hey people are losing their rights. As a Krav Maga instructor, I'm like, man, you know, this is, I hope not, but I feel like we're going to have to start using it more in the next 20 years because I am not confident that our leadership globally are making smart decisions to manage people's fears and manage uh, just you know, good lifestyles, and my motto has been this, you know, obviously it doesn't necessarily apply in England, but is learn martial arts and get guns. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, of course, learn how to use them, don't just, don't be some yeah, yahoo. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm feeling a little anxious about the way things are going. Do you get that feeling in in, in England at all, or? Um,
2: we, um, I'm not sure we get that, I mean, everyone is, is worried the way things are going, but it, it's not I don't think I don't think people are worried about guns appearing on the street because I think I mean obviously we have them in gangs and stuff, but I mean I think if it's going to happen, it's a long way off. Yeah, if it's going to happen at all. Um, I think more people are worried about um, Big Brother. Yeah. Or anything else. I mean, in in England, uh, every okay, so twenty years ago most of the road traffic stuff was dealt with by the police. Mm. They would stop you, they would fine you for speeding, whatever. Now, everywhere you go in England, there's a camera. Yeah. All the motorways, all the cities, everywhere. So the police don't really have to stop you anymore. It's the camera catches you, you get a letter in the post, you were speeding, here's your fine. Mm. You know, but those cameras are now everywhere. Yeah. Uh, And they're getting more and more and more and more. Um, taxes are getting higher, We're, you know, we're now banning certain cars from being in the cities, um, you know, it's, I think people feel like their rights of privacy have been invaded, um, you know, um, I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. I mean, in certain circumstances, having cameras everywhere can actually be good, especially if there's a fight or if there's a, something gone down, But, but in other circumstances, I think people feel uneasy. There's yeah. just Many cameras, and they know too much about you. Yeah. You know, um. So does
0: Facebook to... and Google. <laughs> people. Yeah. <study.
1: laughs>
2: yeah, I know. It's amazing how many people I talk to about that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a former IT guy, and, you know. When I say, oh, you know, have you got a Google account? Yeah. Oh, they know everything about you. They're like, no, they don't. Yeah, they do. Yeah,
0: they know everything.
2: As much they don't know about you, and they've got algorithm programs behind that. We'll, we'll find out every single thing about you. Yeah. You know. Um. But uh, yeah, it's it's still a little bit of ignorance in the UK to that, you know.
0: Um... Well, it's everywhere. There's ignorance everywhere on every topic about everything. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh, you know, I'm some people get annoyed at me because they it's not what they're expecting. I don't just teach the the techniques and and the aggression. I I teach people critical thinking, and I will talk about politics in class because to me it's relevant to self defense, uh, and I'll give examples like. Um, Hey, did you know that there was a military coup in Thailand a few years ago? How many of you traveled to Thailand, you know, and being aware of what's going on in the world? And I integrate uh, mental health a little bit relating to self-defense. And and like, say, let's talk de-escalation. If I can't talk to you about your mental state, then de-escalation is not something you might be good at if you are an easy to anger person and and i start, i i'm trying to create a more holistic environment a lot of people hate that because they want shut up and just i want to train but for me it's like i need you to understand that in this world it's so complicated you need to be able to defend yourself from everything yeah nowadays yeah is that something you think about we're very
2: similar to that we're very very similar to that i mean you know we, we do uh, every now and then we'll bring a PowerPoint presentation out. You know, stop the class and do a presentation. You know, um, especially if we're working with instructors or high-level students. You know, we'll start talking about human rights, start talking about de-escalation and escalation, and how to deal with it. You know, um, uh, soft skills. I mean, one of the biggest things that I am into at the moment is talking about and, and showing soft skills. And people go, "I don't want to do that. I'm not interested." You know, get give me a pair of boxing gloves and I want to hit the other guy. And I'm like, but that's just one small part of it. But that's, that's what people want. You know, people just want to come into the gym, hit each other, go home and be happy, you know, because they get that adrenaline rush from, from hitting each other. And, and, and we kind of, we're trying to change it. I mean, I will say we've probably still got a few clubs that do that, Mm. but across the board, we are trying to change it. I mean, we have changed it a lot in Europe um we're getting a lot more clubs now to go online and, and talk to their students and actually have sessions with them not just because of covid even before covid of actually you know having online what they talk about they just someone starts a topic and then they all start talking mm-hmm. they kind of just have an open conversation about uh, politics about human rights about law and it's amazing how many you know people are actually starting to go well actually this is quite
1: good we, we actually
2: do like this and there's still a few that don't uh, it's been very hard in this country mm. um this country the attitude is that they don't really want to know they don't want to yeah. know about politics. they don't want to know about the law you know they don't want to know about human rights just uh, i just want to hit him you know yeah I wanna train hard i want to hit him and we are trying to change it but it, it's 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 not easy it's not yes, easy.
0: definitely not i for sure have lot. Not, one i'm in vancouver which is a very left-wing city and even for canada not as bad as Toronto, but still. Uh, and being coming from a you know Kramaga military, I'm more center center right, so I'm gonna say things they don't like. And but also you do get the the guys they don't want to hear it, and, and it does affect business. But I'm like I just I don't know. One I, I want to be authentic, me. There's that because I like to talk about this stuff. But I just think it, the more information you have, the better the better equipped people are to to handle the world and there's so much information it's just like people have not been taught how to sift through it and i feel like you know the anxiety and and mental health is going through like i deal with stuff you know and i'm trying to teach people hey this is how i've learned to deal with it has anyone talked to you about it and i'm not like some preachy person about it because if people don't want to talk about that stuff they obviously don't i just think it's super important and i know when i'm when you I don't know about your experience with the Israeli instructors, but they—they they are not interested in that at all. <laughs> it's a man's
2: world. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it, it's 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 true. I mean, you know, when we go training in Israel, it's it's not spoken about. It's not, yeah, um, not at all. But I mean, outside of Israel, I mean, you know, and maybe it will get there one day. But but it is becoming a bigger subject. I mean, mental health, you know both men and women but what we're finding is if you start talking about again on instructor courses we have a whole day of soft skills we talk about um we talk about soft skills we talk about mental health we talk about law and stuff like that and when you start talking about mental health all the women are quite happy to um, tell you things that you are quite shocked about and all the men just sit there with their mouth shut and everything's fine no problem with me everything is absolutely fine (laughs) You know, yeah and then at lunchtime you know you're drinking coffee and they'll come to you and go do you know what do you know what i'm doing actually you know this this happened the other and you know, why didn't you talk about it when well, we're like, oh no I don't, I don't want to talk about it in front of other people yeah but you're telling me what, what's the deal? <laughs> um yeah. but that's it again i can't talk for any other country in england it's a very much you know we have this thing in england um sorry someone's knocking at the door sorry. don't
1: worry i'm in a live interview Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry, um, the tea time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Um, where was I? Yeah, yeah. The 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 attitude in England is is it is changing, but it's still very much a, a stiff upper lip. You know, I'm yeah. um, I'm, I'm um, I would say British. Let's say English. I'm English, British, whatever people want to mm-hmm. call themselves, and I don't need to talk about my problems. Yeah. yeah. And and actually, it is changing it is changing but it's it's taking a long time it, it's taking a long time for things to change
3: um
2: i mean I, i'm very lucky as i said that i work with some guys who are and, and some ladies who are amazing you know um and the last few years we we seem to have more of our instructors are going in or working in the mental health industry um and, and we're getting some great you know information to come back we, we built a portal we started building a a portal for instructors about five years ago and it's kind of, you know, it's come a long way since then. But whenever we get new instructors, they always get shocked when they first log on to the portal. Mm. First thing they learn on the portal is, is how to teach, how to deal with mental health, how to deal with people with disabilities, how to, and they're like, where's all the videos of how to punch someone? (laughs) Like, well they're there but they're kind of like you have to go all the way down to the bottom and it's under that but you need to read all this stuff first yeah we don't, we don't need to read all that well actually yeah you do really Yeah. you know I mean a good teacher you know I mean let's go back to traditional martial arts okay because I've been doing karate for years and years and years and I was always taught a good teacher is someone who can't just kick and punch a good teacher is someone who can dance with people mm. who can entertain who can listen, who can advise, you know? Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's kind of with a lot of the younger generation. Um, I think it's kind of missed or forgotten or not, not taught. Yeah. Because what, what I'm seeing at the moment, especially from the younger ones coming along, is all, as I said, all they want to do is punch and kick, mm. you know, and see how strong they are and you know how much they can hurt the other person. And I'm like, well, you know, how does that make you a teacher?
1: Yeah. Um,
2: um, I'm very lucky to work with some of the older guys here, you know, uh, um, I I belong to an organisation, which is at the moment in the middle of disbanding, which is quite sad, called Mm -hmm. the Masters, and it's guys who are like 70 plus. You know and and you never mess with one of these guys, you know we yeah. of course of one of these guys, you just they all look old, half of them come in with walking sticks, and all of a sudden they get on the mats so you just don't want to mess with them yeah. <laughs> but the experience they have, and you listen to them and you and you know and 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 it's literally what we're talking about now, it's all about do you know what's going on in the world mm. you know, and then okay let's let's show you this punch, okay, anyway, so we've shown you that, okay, so you know how are you living at home and and all these people are looking at them every now and then they'll just come out with things like that and i'm, I'm sitting there, i'm loving it i'm lapping it all up and i'm thinking this is great yeah you, know, but you see all the younger ones going why am i here yeah what do i want to listen to this old man for and i just i look at them and i think you've got no idea yeah absolutely no idea
0: i think like because i i went to university for uh for psychology I, I ended up finishing with my like half degree my associate's degree rather than the bachelor's because i i can't Stand the environment there, it drives me nuts. Um, but what I, I think what it is is a disconnect between the intellectual class and those getting into mental health and those who are like you know uh, toxic masculinity. there's like a huge disconnect and and they're not meeting, and the the woo there's a lot of bullshit, to be honest, in psychology, and a lot of people who are just completely clueless with their heads up their ass, and you see how it works just as an example um cognitive behavioral therapy is traditionally one of the most successful types of therapy it works like 70 to 90 percent of the time with people who want to work it's mainly about you know retraining how a person thinks internally and i'm it's the way i look at it's like why the fuck are you wasting your time with all that other bullshit if this is the one that works and then the way they talk about it a lot of uh men don't want to hear it and i've started reframing it as uh, i'm actually writing a blog post series on this about the the jeff cooper mental awareness color code uh, white yellow orange uh, red uh, black and then reframing that it can that combat model can be used for both mental health mm. and for combat there's no difference because it's your nervous system and, and there is zero difference between how you feel when you're about to go fight or flight versus how you feel if you feel you're personally attacked your body doesn't know and i think there's just too much fluff and too much extra and nobody's trying to simplify it and and that's the way i've started approaching it because how can i explain it to a lot of the macho guys in my class that don't want to hear it well i relate it to combat i just use a combat model and then i can use that same model to talk to people about uh I don't really like the way like the whole psychological mindfulness is being sold because people will think, Oh, it's a monk on a, on a, you know, on a mountain meditating and people can't relate to that. And you hear all these very wealthy people talking about, it. it's like, Hey, I'm um, asshole. You can go spend money for some retreat where you don't have to do anything for a year to work on that. The average person can't, it's not relatable. Uh, and so I'm trying to, when I explain it to my students, I'm trying to make it as relatable, to what they're learning right now so i'll give an example of a self-defense scenario what mental state are you in? and then compare it to um a, a non-combative situation right yeah, someone with severe anxiety is basically walking around in, in the color code mental orange or red and red being you, you feel like you're in a fight it's like hey you're, you're you're not in a fight and, that, and i'm not an expert on uh, cognitive behavioral therapy but what they would do is sort of like teach them hey you need to realize you're not in a fight and that's what it is, is being aware of, like, what state are you in right now? And do you need to be in that state? Do you, are you really threatened right now? And, and we're seeing that with the Internet. is Everyone feels threatened all the time. Yep. COVID, everyone's threatened all the time. Are you actually And A lot of times the answer is no, but people are acting like they are. And, uh, you know, my for PTSD, uh, I don't have PTSD. I have, you know, um, history of depression and uh I'm starting to realize cuz of COVID actually pretty bad social anxiety I think. I didn't realize that before and it's like you have to realize like oh I'm I'm feeling this right now and and then I can think about hey in a combat state I've had people get in my face and in the mind that's going in my head in that moment cuz I'm used to it is oh I need to be calm right now and my hands come up you you get over that initial shock and you start thinking and it's no different for the mental health and Definitely. so that's been my approach to it a little bit
2: when when when, when we talk about this we 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 talk about um, we talk about the free paths so we kind of say you know whether it be on the internet um whether it be a fight whatever the situation we say what's going on in that person's head what's mm. going on in the other person's head which is very very different from what's going on in and then you've got the bubble in the middle of what's actually mm. really happening. Yeah. And 99% of the time, there's nothing actually really happening. <laughs> you know, it's just in, in, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, the motherfucker. Ah. And in your head, you're thinking, what did I do? What did yeah. I do wrong? I'm not sure. And then a bit in the middle is going, oh, uh, there's nothing actually happening. They're just, yeah. they're just you know, talking. Uh, the occasional is when there's a fight. And that bit in the middle is what actually could happen or does happen. But but yeah, we, there, there's that definite split there that we, we've definitely seen it over the internet when someone can wind someone up, you know, yeah. and that other person gets so angry, you know, um, like the keyboard warriors, whatever they want, yeah. you know, um, that unfortunately we've seen suicide committed. We've seen mm. people actually committing suicide because they've got so wound up over what someone said. Yeah. Instead of, hold on a second. You know you had mental health issues you know um it, it's a it's a sad situation that I never sought help but you know turn the computer off yeah you know it, 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 how hard is that to do and I, you know don't get me wrong i'm not making excuses for anyone bullying anyone else because it shouldn't happen
1: yeah happen
2: under any circumstances and I think a lot of these internet service providers have, uh, you know, the, the big boys have got a lot to answer for. Yeah. Um. Because there's a lot of stuff that they could control and they don't. It's yeah. all about making money rather than anything else. But, you know, I, I, I had someone approached me a few weeks ago and said, oh, you know, I've been bullied so bad on the internet. You know, this person just won't leave me alone. And they keep saying this and they keep saying that. And I said, Oh, and who are they? Oh, they're on my friends list. <laughs> Block them. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I said defriend them. Oh no, but if I do that, they know I've done it. And I'm like, but they're offending you. I don't understand why. Oh no, I, I can't. I couldn't really do that. It, it would be wrong, and everyone else would say, "Why have I befriended them?" And what? Sorry, why have I defriended them? And and I'm like, what planet are you on? Yeah, you know, you've just come to me, and you you can play for an hour. That they've they've said this, and they've said, and some of the things they'd said were terrible. You know. I said, all you need to do is click a button. But people seem to find that really, really hard. I think people are scared of losing friends yeah. on the internet because it's a new kind of friendship. It's a new, it's something that's very different, especially for the older generation, for my generation. You know, I mean, okay, I have I spent years now on computers, you know, mm. and so it, it's, it's nothing new for me. But for a lot of people my age who've only got into computers in the last 10, 15 years, it's a new thing to have all these friends. And if someone insults you, yeah. Seems so to really, really hurt them. Yeah. You know? Whereas I, I'm, I'm pretty quick. Someone says anything bad to me, and D friend click. Yeah. De-friend, click. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's the other thing with my organisation. You know, people come and go in every organisation in every business, and some people seem to get very offended when I say we don't want, we don't want to work with you anymore. Uh, yeah. uh, and I'm always saying to me, it's just business. Yeah. It's not personal. It's just business. Bye-bye. Yeah. It's just business. Yeah. People find that really, really hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to in the early days, and I've got hardened to it now, but as I <laughs> suppose I've got older. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want to work with people that want to work with me. I yeah. want to work with people that want to talk nice to me and I'll talk nice to them. I'm not interested in working with people who want to slack you off. I'm not interested in people who want to prove that their system is better than your system or whatever. I'm not into that. You know, the, the whole reason our our global network was created so we could work with other organizations who had the same idea and that is to work together not to not to prove one system is better than the other but just to work together and learn from each other and i and i think i think it's a great idea and and it seems to be working yeah know? um every now and then we get you know some organizations that leave or we get some organizations to say i'd love to work with you but i'm not allowed yeah <laughs> Some of the bigger Israeli organizations let's <laughs> they're, they're not allowed to work with anyone else if they get caught working with anyone else they they lose their you know instructor's license and blah blah blah, and I'm like really
0: I can speculate as to who there's a couple of yeah, offenders I'm sure you in can. that camp I'm sure
2: you can. Yeah. there's there's a, two or three big names out there, which yeah. is really sad, but there you go um yes, yes
0: <laughs> it's very unfortunate like i i'll work I have not. Like I'd love to take everyone's instructor course. I don't care, and I'll take what uh, take what I like, and you know whatever for my students. And there have been a few. It's like I really wanted your course. Like we'll only certify you. We'll only do it if you're gonna represent us. I'm like I'm not gonna do that. Sorry. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not necessarily that I don't agree with what you're doing. It's more of a, a business decision that ultimately here in Vancouver and Canada, nobody gives a shit what organization I'm representing. They don't care. It doesn't benefit my business. It's completely irrelevant. They come because they hear that, hey, this is the school to come to. I heard about it. For me, pay, having to pay like 1,000, 2,000 a year for some affiliation fee, I don't mind paying a small one. But if you want to pay, like I pay a few small ones for a few just because I want to keep in touch and stuff. If you want me to pay like that kind of money, I'm like, it doesn't benefit me, I'm not interested. Sorry, I'd love to work with you. Otherwise, but you're stonewalling me, so nope. <laughs> it's amazing
2: how many people walk into our clubs and never heard of us. Yeah, you're like yeah. Oh, we really like what you're doing. What you know, you're such a big organization, but we've never heard of you. Yeah, and now we looked you online. You're we're like we don't really advertise. To be quite honest, yeah. with you. most people come to us as word of mouth. I, as I said, I'm I'm not interested in going up to the top of, top of a building and shouting out who we are and putting lots of promotion online. And I mean again the last few years we put on a little bit more Mm -hmm. but not not a huge amount we're not interested in that i want people to come to us because they've heard about us or because they want you know decent training um um, we work with a lot of professional organizations so we can't go around shooting at the top of shooting a mouse off at the top of the uh, hills and, and buildings anyway but um i think you know as i said for me Good self-defense is, is down to the teacher or teachers and what experiences they have. It's not always down to the system. Mm. I think a lot of people, I, I actually wrote an article about that the other day online, and, and I got quite a lot of response from that because someone asked a, a question of, you know, what martial art is a good martial art? You know, which one is good for self-defense? And I said, well, they all are. And they said, no, they're not. I said, well, actually, they are. I said, every form of martial art is actually good for self-defense if the teacher knows how to do it. (laughs) it And if the teacher's had real-life world experience, then he'll know Mm. what to do. But if they haven't, then no. Yeah. not. You can have the best competition fighter in the world at karate, but it doesn't make him a great self-defense, streetwise guy.
1: Yeah.
2: You can have a guy who's never done any competition in his life, but he's been in 10 street fights, been stabbed once, but still alive. And he can say, well, actually this works and that works but that doesn't work you know i've actually used this you know i got pushed to the floor i got my head smashed in you know and 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 guys like that you kind of when you start training with them and you know they'll show you very little but what they show you is like yeah okay i like that it's kind of it's it's real it's real life
0: yeah i I think think like yeah an example i have of that is like say uh someone's mounted choking you and so you pluck or strike or anything the jiu-jitsu guys are always like uh you're sticking your arm out they're going to arm bar you i'm like okay really if, if that guy's trying to rape that girl you think he's going to try to armbar her no right or if they're in a club and they fell and the guy's raging on the guy and he's choking him you think he's his mindset is is he's ch- gonna arm bar no and is it, there is a lot of that that yes that is a great technique in competition but it is is it really self-defense mentality is it really are you thinking about what the attack is gonna and, and like say even for like i teach 360 one way and occasionally you get the guy you know for knife defense and and uh, a lot of people are nobody attacks like that you know if you talk to a filipino martial artists they're like no nobody attacks like that i'm like man just go on youtube okay <laughs> like you see it everywhere there's a reason because they're not trained and they're not thinking like you uh, and That's- i it's a yeah. it's a crazy thing to explain to people that there is a real difference between self-defense and martial arts or competitive stuff because of the the mental space Yep. Uh, so uh, i i, it,
2: I studied yeah. salat for a while and mm. um, knife techniques and then i decided as i said i went to stay in indonesia for a month yeah and i was really shocked by the training in indonesia because it was completely different to anything i'd ever had in the uk yeah or anywhere else um out there, I was introduced to, you know, um, um, training with real-life blades, training mm. with weapons.
0: Which is um, terrifying. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for them, it's just totally normal. Everyone, especially in Surabaya, mm. everyone who's old enough to walk carries a knife.
1: Yeah. Everyone,
2: you know, uh, and, and the, the older guys, they, they carry oh, what, something called a schlurette.
0: Mm. Oh, that's a fun one looks like a scythe for cutting weed almost yeah
2: so so they carry that down their pants yeah in in indonesia it's pretty because they want
0: they want to self-circumcise themselves accidentally i guess yeah
2: how they carry that and that doesn't happen i do not know but they all (laughs) seem to carry them down their pants and the younger ones carry smaller weapons but everyone has a weapon yeah yet knife crime is actually very low hmm you know, yeah. But when fights break out, it's it's it's. I mean, I saw in in the month I was there, I saw one happen.
0: Yeah.
2: And it was pretty
0: gruesome, I imagine. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty. yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's actually some a, a, a line of thought that it's it's hot. I have this conversation, let's say left-leaning people about use of force and self-defense, and, and I, I'm sure in the same camp, if someone's threatening me, I'm going to stand up for myself, whatever that means in the moment. I'm not going to use minimal force necessary, but sometimes that might mean a little bit more force. and. You know there's a an attitude a lot of people have and they'll say oh, just call the police or just do that and i'm like listen if i go to a place like where you just said or let's say texas where everyone is armed and everyone knows it if if criminals or those who are willing to be more violent know there is a serious consequence for them deciding to act you actually see lower crime rates and this is like easily observable all over the world if there is real consequence for you being a violent dickhead crime is lower mm-hmm. usually not always but usually and trying to convince people of that like, why do you need a gun i'm like hey if nobody has a gun in your society you're right you don't but if some people do you probably all might want it or if one person has a, if I, if no one really has a knife you do not a big deal but if everyone has the same level of threat or consequences for misstepping People don't step out of line, mm. right? It's, a, it's predator prey as far as I'm concerned. Because they know
2: what's going to happen when they do. If the other yeah. person's got it, it's, you know, yeah. And, and, and I've got a lovely story. I, I was in Texas a few years ago. Yeah. And um, um, I, I went to a, a, a shooting store and they said, you know, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from England. or oh, Would you like to shoot a few guns? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So they gave me this bucket that's kind of like what you put shoe polish in. Yeah. Big bucket, and he said, "Right, pick three handguns." He said, "How many bullets do you want?" I was like, "Sorry." He said, "Pick three handguns, choose <laughs> three. Now, how many bullets you want?" He said, "You can take them downstairs to the range." I went, "Okay, then." I said, I'll, "I'll have a Glock and I'll have a Smith and western He said, "Oh, well, you know your guns." I said, "Yeah." I suppose so. <laughs> so I went down there, and there's no one down there. There's no one to tell you what to do. They just got cameras. Yeah. They step out your range they kind of over the speaker to say please step back inside your range I mean you know people were firing down there with shotguns and machine yeah. guns and I was really shocked it was quite a small place and yeah I went down there shooting and um, and everyone had gone and I'd finished my last few and I I like to take my time when shooting I'm not interested in rushing and, yeah and, uh, I went back upstairs and the guy said to me oh, that was pretty good and then I saw a galil on the wall yeah and I said Said, is that Galil? Yeah. And he he said, You know what that is? I said, Yeah, I said I used to I used to have one of them when I was in the military and he said, Really? Yeah. What military were you in then? i said i was in the israeli military and he starts speaking to me in hebrew oh yeah <laughs> and that was it we we then grabbed some machine guns and handguns and we spent the whole afternoon downstairs running from aisle to aisle shooting like two little boys <laughs> and, and and i said to him you know i can't really afford it. he said i haven't asked for any money so yeah just, this is really good fun he said and 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 it was just crazy. And then he said to me, you know, um, how long are you here for? I said, oh, I'm just here for a few weeks. I'm with my wife and my kids and whatever. He says, do you want to borrow a gun for the few weeks you're here? Yeah. <laughs> very Texas.
0: Yeah, very Texas. And I
2: said, sorry, borrow one? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, in a couple of weeks you can bring it back. I said, I'm all right. He said, are you sure? Yeah. And he looked at me as though, but you need one. Yeah. And I said, I, I, I don't need a gun. And he went, no, no, no. You just borrow. I said, I don't need one. And mm. he was so shocked. I didn't yeah, need one. I was actually quite shocked that he was willing to lend. <laughs> for, it's for te- te- it's Texas, weeks. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, very it's sh- different. It quite shocking. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I was talking about like Canada. I'm like in Vancouver. Do I really need a gun for self defense? No, not really. But there are places where, like, let's say I'm parts of Toronto, I would probably want one. But it's not allowed. You know, it just it really depends on uh, the area. And but to me, it comes down to like. Self defense mentality, you know, like I think that's what's going on with a lot of the younger people nowadays. They, they have hadn't experienced no real consequences for anything, no. and they're just mouthy and they're not getting any. No matter whether they're right or left wing or whatever, I can say whatever I want with no consequences. There's nothing you can do. I'm gonna call my mom, like, and that's sort of the attitude, you know.
2: I, we get that here. I mean, I, I've been threatened a few times, you know. yeah. I have had the young ones coming up to me, so. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut yeah. you to your bleed. I'm like, yeah, okay, really, that's nice. Yeah. And they, they go, what? So that's nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> I look forward to the day you do that. I just walk away. Because, look, here in this country, 98% is too.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: The people who are really going to do it, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. They're, gonna tell you, yeah. they're just going to come up and they're going to do it. Yeah, It's, it's already going to be, be over. They're going to cut you or stab you and it's gone. Yeah. The I mean, ones that talk about it, 98% of the time, they still might have a knife. Mm. More likely they're not going to use it in a No choice. Yeah. Uh, and and you just you just have to kind of. It does worry me sometimes. I'm not going to say it doesn't worry me, but I just I kind of smile at them when you know. Because across the road from where we, we live, there's there's a few young gangs. Yeah. Very silly boys, but but they're in gangs. Yeah. You have to be a little bit careful yeah But at the same time i i just you know i kind of i laugh half the time and i just think really you've got you've got no idea
0: yeah i mean that that's i think that's pretty standard and most westernized i've had that experience you know before i knew krav or anything i was a mouthy teenager and you know i i mouthed off people who it turns out they were carrying guns after the fact mm-hmm. turns out they were gangsters but because i made it clear like i'm not someone to pick on even if i didn't know what the hell i'm doing they just like uh i don't want to you know but i you know i always teach uh not to keep you too much longer but i always teach like listen in a western country it's probably reasonable except certain cities to to take that stance but if i go to other parts of the world and again if i'm not educated about the culture and i don't understand uh, like i've seen some mizrahi jews in israel just react very different than the uh, ashkenazi jews if you go to certain other countries where and they'll just stab you without thinking about it it's like it's something to consider and and all these people who say they're very culturally aware and i'm like i think you're learning more culture for me teaching you self defense than you do uh you know where you think it is because it's a it's a wild world with all the different attitudes and you really got to know like where am i What's the culture here? Are they all talk here? Or are they going to actually throw down? Should I keep my mouth quiet? Should I walk away? Should I fight? Should I not? We,
2: we, we have one place in, in um, northeast London, uh, which is a place where many Sikhs live. Hmm. And Sikhs legally in this country are allowed to carry knives.
0: Same here. Same
1: here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they're allowed to defend their honor. And if they stab you with a knife because it's defending their honor, well, you know, it'll yeah. be held in the court of law. You know, and you need to be aware of that. And it's yeah. amazing, you know, how many people have no idea yeah. that a Sikh can legally carry a knife. Yeah. no one else can. can.
0: Yeah, yeah. I find it a bit hypocritical, but you know, I won't yeah. get into that. They're allowed to carry it here. I do not. If they use it for any purpose like that, they will be charged though here. Um, but it's again same thing. People they will don't understand. They'll
2: probably be charged here, but it's, yeah. it's getting hold of them.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, people don't realize that they can legally carry knives. You know, yeah, no one else can
0: yeah i find it just strange like i know everyone's trying to be respectful but when it comes to violence it's like violence is violence guys and i i, I that's you know an example of my my concerns is everyone's trying to be so multicultural It's you're going to create so much division because they can act like this and you can't and this person can't i'm like how does anyone think this is gonna go like i just don't <laughs> eventually lines are drawn and people start getting violent unfortunately
2: yep yeah, yeah, it's true. But it keeps me in business. Yeah. <laughs> oh! Yeah. That's, that's a reality.
0: Like I said, you know, Vancouver is not a good place to teach real good quality self-defense, I should say, because people, they're not interested. It's not a violent city. They don't feel they need it. They want to go do the competitions. They want to do that. I wish it was more popular. Like if I open up a school in LA or New York, you can have a thousand students pretty easily if you're any decent at it. But here, it's like you're lucky to get less than 100 or just around 100 if you can do that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate that violence makes people want to learn how to defend themselves, and it doesn't work the other way. Uh,
2: and uh, one last thing I'm going to say you know, mm. is we find the majority of people who want to learn are all big, strapping young men. Mm-hmm. And the people who need to learn very rarely come to the gym. Yep,
1: and, unfortunately.
2: And, I, and I, I find that very
1: disappointing.
2: You know, yeah i just i never i've never understood that people who yeah. really need to learn yeah know, be the ones coming in the door and and we seem to we, we call the neanderthals yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: i get a mix actually i thought when we first opened i'd get that but i actually started getting middle-aged men who have families who had an incident i started after a while we started getting a lot of women now the people who need it don't usually stay long enough unfortunately to get good enough um but I, i'm quite happy on our end that I, even though i don't have as many students as i'd like as consistently as i like i'm getting quite a wide variety of people for all you
2: get that in our smaller careers. satellite clubs yeah which is yeah really nice yeah and in a few of the bigger clubs not so much but yeah the we get that yeah
1: yeah so.
0: well yeah because i think it's getting late where you are but i am super yeah. happy to hear you're doing what you're doing and you you've done really well and When I'm in England next, I'll love to come come and visit your clubs. Um Yeah, lovely. Don't know when that'll be. For sure. And uh any parting words before we wrap this up? Anything you want for your students to hear, or my students to hear, or the world or anything?
2: Um just keep training. Yeah. But enjoy
1: it. Yeah.
2: Enjoy the training and learn. That's for me, that's you know, the only thing that's kept me going all these all these actually enjoy what I do. I Mm. love meeting all the different people. I love teaching. I I love learning. You know, I think that's really really important. You know, but just enjoy what you do. Have fun. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, we get to hit each other sometimes, but have fun. Yeah. You know, and and that doesn't seem to be too many people take too many things seriously. It's it's serious enough. You know, dealing with family life.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Dealing with work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think those are great parting words. Um, how can people find you online?
2: Uh globalkapap.com mm-hmm. um, yeah, or just go to Google and type global globalkapap K A P A mm-hmm. P. Um, and yeah, that's that's it's we're 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 there. <laughs>
0: yeah. So. Okay, well, thanks for coming on and uh, I look forward to you meeting much. you in person someday.
2: We're good, we good. Maybe in Israel, maybe in Canada, or maybe in the UK. This One of the
0: two, or three or four.
2: Good. See you soon. Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. The Warrior's
1: Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.